I enjoyed meeting some of you guys um, that I haven't ever seen before coming in. It seemed like, especially tonight, I met a lot of new people, and so that was good. You know what? I did uh, three weeks ago. I'm going to do again. What I want you guys to do is move into the center. I know that makes you uncomfortable, but that's okay. If everybody could just move in towards the center. Yeah, good. That way, if people come in late, there's room on the sides. Go ahead, talk it up while you're doing that. <laughs> yeah. Move in towards the center. Good. You know, one of the things uh, Andy mentioned that we're going to try and do with, with Thanksgiving, with all those things, is I want you guys to feel like a body, and I want you to feel closer than when you just see each other on Friday nights. And so I don't want three spaces in between each year. <laughs> I want you to have to sit close to each other and make yourselves uncomfortable. I'm glad you're here tonight, and I know I always say this, but it is a supreme pleasure. I count it a huge, huge pleasure to be able to be here, um, to be able to teach, to be able to worship with you all through song, through teaching, through prayer, through before, through after. Let's talk about where we've been for the past few weeks, since there's quite a few of you new here tonight. Last week we did testimonies, and those were spectacular, were they not? Praise the Lord. Um, for faithful men and, and a woman who would do that. I appreciate that. Um, the week before that, Andy taught, and he taught on how Jesus went in and he, he tipped over the tables and he drove the livestock out. And we talked about how zeal for his father's house had consumed him. And what's the theme verse for this year, especially for those that are new? Who knows it? One brave soul. Good, yeah. First John 2, 6. If we say that we abide in Jesus, if we say that we're Christians, we're called to walk, even in the same manner as he walked. And so we're going to continue with that tonight. And Nate told you where we're going to go. Um, you know, part of my job is to not just spend time here, but to be down on campus. And one of my times down on campus this week, I was in North Hedges. And I saw a sign when I was down there, when I was waiting for the elevator. I was going to visit one of my buddies, Nate, and and I saw a sign, and the sign said, uh, said, the revolution that will change the world is a personal one. And it stuck with me. In fact, I took a picture of it on my phone because I've been thinking about it ever since. The revolution that will change the world is a personal one. This was promoting leadership. It was promoting kind of personal advancement and social issues. We're going to cure AIDS. We're going to do this, and we're going to do that. And I got to thinking at it, in light especially of John 3, I think the revolution that will change the world is a regenerate one. We're going to talk about regeneration tonight, new birth. What does that mean? It's a word we use a lot, but what is regeneration? What does it mean that we say that we're born again? What does Jesus mean when he says you must be born again? W. Tozer said, um, man is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. Men are God's methods. I believe there's a lot of truth in that. I might not agree with all of it, but I think we're always looking for the new and the latest and the greatest. But man are God's methods, his church, his body, his bride. And so social issues, social things, um, personal advancement aren't going to change the world, but the Lord could be pleased to use, and I believe he is pleased to use regenerate young men and women to do that. Scripture gives an unusual amount of length to this passage that we're going to read tonight. And I think it's a very, very special one. In fact, it's one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. Um, And if you would, please open up to John 3. We'll read it. 
John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Verse 1, it says, Now there is a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you, where it wishes but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. Verse 12, If I told you earthly things and you do not believe them, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man will be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He, does, he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Verse 19, This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes into the light, so that his deeds may be manifest as having been wrought in God. Let's, uh, let's ask the Lord for some help and bow your head. We'll pray here. Father, thank you. Thank you for an opportunity to talk about you. Lord, thank you for an opportunity to sing songs that have such deep and meaningful words. Lord, thank you for your word which instructs us. Thank you for a building to meet in. Lord, thank you for the sacrifice. Thank you that the lamb has been slain, that the price has been purchased. Lord, I need your help desperately now, and I would ask that you would help me. Father, please help me. Lord, would you quicken hearts who do not believe? Lord, would you cause those that are dead to come alive? Lord, would you wake up dead men? Father, would your word speak? Would you be pleased with what's done, what's said? Lord, get glory for yourself through the teaching, through your word, through what happens here tonight. Lord, we thank you so much, so very, very much for an opportunity to serve you. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you've said to Nicodemus. Lord, would it bear fruit in our lives? Help us to understand it, Lord, as we go through it together. Lord, we ask these things in Christ's name. It's in Him that we can pray. Amen.
Well, you're all familiar with this story. I know that most all of you have heard of John 3. You've, um, maybe it was one of the first lessons you've heard, but I think it would be appropriate if we backed up a little bit more and went to chapter 2 verse, or first, excuse me. You see, the chapters breaks in Scripture aren't inspired, and so they came long after the Scripture did. And I think John 2.24, if we start there, it'll help us understand it. Verse 24, But Jesus on His part was not entrusting Himself to them, for He knew all men. And because He did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for He Himself knew what was in man. I believe that this leads straight into what's going on here. Straight into Nicodemus. See, Jesus didn't need instruction about man. He knew what was in man. See, men were beginning to come and to watch and to see and to learn. And they were coming and they were being astounded by what Jesus was showing them. The signs, the miracles. But it says Jesus on his part was not entrusting them because he knew what was in them. See, Jesus didn't have faith in their faith. He didn't believe their belief. This was a faith, a shallow faith. A faith that James speak of, speaks of. He says the demons believe this way. A sorrow not over their sin, but over their belly, over their food. They wanted fed, they wanted clothed, but they didn't want Christ. They had remorse, but no repentance. At the end of the night, I hope you'll be able to see, I've been praying that you'll be able to see that the gospel is not some addition that we can make to our life. It's not to add a cherry on top here, a special thing there, a special thing there. This is a totally new thing. This is a rebirth, a renewal, a regeneration. Verse 1, a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Who were the Pharisees? What was going on here? The Pharisees, a Jewish sect, um, came, comes from a Hebrew word which means to separate. So these men had separated themselves off totally from the bunch. Not in terms of distance necessarily, but they thought that they were pretty high up. They thought that they were extra special. They were constantly being criticized by Jesus for their externalizing of the law and the commandments. In fact, some of the stuff that they did was absolutely ridiculous. A chicken could have an egg on the Sabbath day as long as you slaughtered it on the day after for working on the Sabbath day. These guys were out of control in what they believed and what they practiced. Jesus said that these guys had a zeal without knowledge. Although it was interesting, they knew much of the Old Testament. They knew much of what was going on, but Jesus never criticized them for what they knew. He criticized them, and He rebuked them for what they did not know. Inwardly, these men were broken cisterns, externalizing religion. They were power-hungry. They were all about showmanship. But inside, they were dead and dried up. Nicodemus was a learned man, though. Isn't it interesting that not all the men who came to know and believe in Jesus were just beggars on the streets? Nicodemus was high up. Scripture tells us a few things about him. It tells us that he was a ruler of the Jews, part of the Sanhedrin. About 70 men, if we think of it in terms of a supreme court, these guys were rulers. They were respected. They weren't necessarily liked, but they were respected. Verse 10 tells us he was a teacher of Israel. He may not have been the top, but if he wasn't the top teacher in Israel, he was close. This guy was a big deal. Nicodemus was a big deal. And so it says to him, he came to him by night. Why did he come to him by night? Verse 2, he said, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. No one can do these signs unless God is with him. Rabbi is a term that denotes respect. Nicodemus was putting Jesus on the same level as him. This was unusual for a Pharisee to do. Nicodemus probably thought he was complimenting him by calling him a rabbi. Why did he come to him by night? What do you think? 
probably because he was scared to come to him by day. See, if Jesus, or excuse me, if Nicodemus was high up in the Pharisees, it would have been a pretty embarrassing thing for him to come to Jesus by day. What did this look like? Well, I know that it's sometimes dangerous to give the imagination too much sway in this, but I tend to wonder if it's not similar to some of the testimonies we heard last week. Where they lay in bed at night and think, I wonder if there's something to this. I wonder if this Jesus is more than just a historical character. I wonder if there's some truth to this reality. See, Jesus hadn't been doing public ministry and miracles very long. But Nicodemus had no doubt seen him. And he was troubled. He wasn't going to lay and wake, awake at night in bed for long. He came to Jesus. He wasn't willing to let that feeling sit there. Verse 3, Jesus answered to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John says that Jesus answered him. I think this is interesting because so often I don't feel like Jesus answers anyone that questions him. But Jesus does something awesome here. He drives right to the heart of the issue. Nicodemus came to him by night and there was something deeper going on in Nicodemus. Kind of like there's something deeper going on in some of you tonight. Nicodemus knew that he, he said he knew he was a teacher come from God, but he wondered if there's something deeper going on. He skips around the question and goes straight after what he's, what he's really going after. Born again, what does this mean? It means born from above. Peter says in 1 Peter 1 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus changes it from the singular to the plural to encompass the term here. He says, unless one is born again, unless anyone is born again. See, no one is going to heaven unless they're born again. Not just Nicodemus, but everyone in this room. Lest you be born again, you will not go to heaven. Then Nicodemus says to him, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb, can he? Did Nicodemus not understand what was going on here? That's what I thought when I read this. I was just confused, poor guy. But Nicodemus did know what was going on. See, this wasn't uncommon language for them to use. Sometimes when people would be converted from a, a Gentile to a, um, a Jew in terms of religion, they would say that they're born again. But the question isn't, did Nicodemus understand this? He didn't understood it perfectly, but he didn't want to lay down his life. It was as if he said, Jesus, I am high up. I've done a lot. I've accomplished a lot. I've been born into a good family. And I've climbed the ranks. I'm a teacher. I'm, a, I'm in the Sanhedrin. I'm the teacher of Israel. And you want me to be born again? You want me to start fresh? You want me to give all this up? Matthew Henry says it this way, If he were born of his mother a hundred times, it would not mend the matter. See, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born in the Spirit is spirit. Jesus answered, Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Emphatic, truly. Jesus says, Listen, listen to what I say, Nicodemus. Listen to what's going on. Let me say the same thing again, but let me explain myself again. Unless you're born of the water, unless you're born of the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus was an educated guy, he was smart, and he knew the Scriptures, didn't he? And so when Jesus said this, his mind would have triggered and he would have gone exactly as Jesus said, born of the water and the Spirit. And Jesus would have thought back and he would have thought back to what Ezekiel said. 
And chapter 36, Ezekiel says this. I'll read it to you. You don't have to go there. Verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my law. This is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. I had a young man tell me once he was tired of me talking about this verse. But this is open heart surgery. What is going on here? God comes and He tears open your heart, your chest, and He takes out your old dead heart of stone, unresponsive, unwilling, and unable to do anything good for Him. And He puts in a heart of flesh, a heart that is sensitive to His touch. So when He says, go, you say, okay. And He moves you to follow His commands. One time I was witnessing to Mormons on campus and they took me to this verse and they said, see, you've got to be baptized to enter heaven. You've got to be dunked in the water. But Jesus couldn't have meant that, could He? Because Christian baptism hadn't even been instituted and John's baptism certainly wasn't salvific. That is to say, it wasn't to get someone saved. John's baptism was simply to pave the way, make straight the way of the Lord, was to prepare their hearts for Christ who had to come. So Christ didn't mean you have to be baptized. What he was referring to, he knew his audience. He knew he was speaking to Nicodemus. And he said, unless you're born of water and spirit, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 6, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. The sinful nature is what Jesus is referring to here, flesh. Romans 8, 7 through 8 says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. It does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Like Matthew Henry has said, it's impossible. If you were born a thousand times over, it would not mend the wrong that's been done here. Your biological does Death, or your biological birth does nothing but guarantee you death. So the death rate is one in one last time I checked. So when you're born of flesh, Jesus, or David says in Psalms 51, in sin my mother conceived me. So unless you're born again, unless you're born of the Spirit this time, you'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. Also reminds me of Titus 3.5. You guys hear me quote this often. Let me say it again. He saved us. It says, Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't tell Nicodemus that he had a cough. He told him he had cancer. How often do we do that when we witness to someone? How often do we say, Listen, you've got this little problem that's called sin. And uh, you need to do something about it. That's not what Jesus did. He said, you have been born in the flesh. And unless you're born again, you will not see heaven. And you know what the alternative is. He didn't put a band-aid on his cancer and send him away. He said, there is a cure. But it's not external, it's Nicodemus. Unless you're born again, you're not going to heaven. 1 Corinthians 15.50 I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does, it, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Jesus said, Do not be amazed, I said to you, you must be born again. This shouldn't be a surprise to Nicodemus. If he knew the Old Testament, he would know this. He would know the promise of the new covenant in Ezekiel 36. This is an imperative that Jesus gives. See, the new birth is not optional. 
You must, you must, you must be born again. Christ said it three times. Could He be any more clear? It's emphatic for a reason. Because we, as people, place high value on our births. In fact, what's the first way somebody starts their testimony often? I was born in such and such a place. I was raised by such and such a family. We value that. And I don't know that there's anything inherently wrong with that. In fact, I don't believe that there is. But this would have been striking to Nicodemus, and it should be striking to some of you, because just because Nicodemus was brought up under the law, just because he was brought up in the Scriptures, doesn't mean that he was born again. Let me bring this home to you. Just because you're born in the church, just because you're born in a Christian family, does not mean that you're going to heaven. You must, you must be born again. Verse 8, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who's born in the Spirit. Psalms 115, verse 3 says, But our God is in the heavens, and He does what He pleases. See, we can't understand the Spirit necessarily and how it works, but Jesus gives us a sweet picture here. Just like the wind blows, and we can't see the wind, we can see the effects of it. And when the Spirit has blown on someone, like it had done last week, with the young woman and with those young men who had spoken, you can see the effects of it. When the Spirit blows on someone, something happens. It doesn't just come and go. You do not see that. You do not hear the sound of it. You do not know where it comes from and is where it, or where it is going. So is everyone who's born been born of the Spirit. You cannot see it, but the fruit of it is obvious. Nicodemus said to him, "How can these things be?" I can almost hear the desperation in Nicodemus's voice. Again, I don't want to paint too far into this, but you can almost see him growing more and more desperate as he goes on. Can't you? How can this be? I have advanced beyond measure. I am so high up in the church, if you will. The church was not established yet, but I am so high up. I am so high respected. How can this be? What do you you mean? He is confused, baffled, probably visibly shaken. Again, Matthew Henry says, Thus many profess to admit the doctrines of Christ in general, and yet will neither believe the truths of Christianity nor submit to the laws of it further than they please. Christ shall be their teacher, provided they may choose their lesson. How can these things be? This is not what I wanted to hear from you. Jesus answered and said to him, You are the teacher of Israel, and you do not understand these things? This was the ultimate rebuke. You are the teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things. How can you not understand these things? You know the word well. This was the last words that Nicodemus said, or at least the last that are recorded, and we see why. Because Jesus said, You're the teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? You should know these things. You should know Ezekiel 36, 37. 2 Timothy 3.15 says that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which we are able to give you and the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. What sacred scriptures is he referring to? Surely not the New Testament because it hadn't even entirely been organized yet. You see, Christ is revealed and the way of salvation is made clear even in the Old Testament. I think back to a friend of mine who was having a conversation with a Jewish guy in Billings one time. And he said, you Christians, I know I've told some of you this again, but I just think this is so much like Nicodemus. 
He said, you Christians, you, you think that Christ is the Messiah. You say that, that Christ is the risen Lamb, the Son, the Messiah, and yet you don't even know anything about Him. You don't know the Gospels. We Jews, we, we have whole books memorized. We know the Scriptures so well. And in some ways, He's true to that. And it's really challenged me to get to know Christ better. But I tell you what, you can know the Bible as well as you want, and it's not going to help you at all if you don't know Christ. I took a class at MSU. It was called Survey of the Hebrew Bible, and the teacher knew the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, better than I did, and she didn't believe a word of it. In fact, she hated it. She was venomous against it. She would dig in and try and find every scrap that she could. She dug so deep, she hated it so deeply, and yet she knew it so well. You're the teacher of Israel, and you do not know these things. You were raised in a Christian home, and you do not know these things. You must, you must be born again. Verse 1 through 10 focus on the divine initiative in rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit. But now we move to verse 11 through 21, which focus on the human reaction to the work of God already being done in regeneration. What's your role in this? See, it's fine and dandy to know all these things. In fact, some of you in here know a lot more than me about the Bible. But what are you called to do? It goes on. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. Jesus always called it as it was, didn't he? He called Nicodemus an unbeliever. You don't accept our testimony, Nicodemus? Jesus always called it was how it was. He says here, what he's getting at is this is not a result of complication of terms. It's not above Nicodemus's head. It's not that Nicodemus doesn't understand this. It's that he doesn't want it. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against the ungodly and against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. It wasn't because Nicodemus didn't want this. Or excuse me, it wasn't because Nicodemus didn't know it. It's because he didn't want it. Verse 12, if I told you earthly things, you would not believe. How will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? How are you going to understand the depths if your eyes haven't even been opened to the simple? No one has ascended from heaven, but he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man, this contradicts all other religions' claims of special revelation from God. Jesus has been to heaven, so what he says is authoritative. It is the final word. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. You see, back in Numbers, the Israelites were griping and they were complaining, Lord, we are so tired of this manna. Just give us something else. Please, anything. And God's wrath or his anger was aroused against the people, it said. And what did he do? He sent serpents into the midst of the camp, and the serpents were biting people. And it says, many in the camp of Israel died. And they came to Moses. They said, Moses, intercede, do something for us. Many among our number are dying. And in Numbers 21, verse 9, it says, Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a standard. And it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Jesus is pointing forward to his death. And when he's lifted up on the cross, whoever believes in him will have eternal life. And here it is. The first verse you ever memorized. The one you see on all the posters and the one you've heard again and again. For God 
so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is the most known and the most quoted verse in the entire Bible. This is it, the opportunity of the world to believe in Christ. So loved. This is a great love. Remember, not that we loved Him, but that He loved us and gave His Son as a propitiation or as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He made the way. Motivated by love. This would have been astonishing to Nicodemus who thought that God only loved the Jewish people. Romans 3.25, whom God displayed publicly, talking about Jesus, as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance of God He passed over the sins previously committed. How was God motivated? Motivated by His love. Verse 16 says, God did not send His Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. This is the world's chance to be saved. Jesus came the first time as a lamb, and He came to provide a way, the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved but that of Christ Jesus. But, but, He will come the second time as a lion. In verse 18, He who believes in Him is not judged, but he who does not believe in Him has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. It's been said that the same Son that melts the wax hardens the clay. See, there's no neutrality in the kingdom of heaven. There's no neutrality on this earth. It's either one way or the other. And you know what Jesus does with tempered water. You know what He does with tempered water. If you believe in Him, you are not judged. But if you don't believe in Him, it's not that you're awaiting judgment. It's that Ephesians says, His wrath already abides on you because you have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God, His special Son, the only begotten Son, the divine Son. There's no neutral stance. Verse 19, This is the judgment that light has come into the world, that men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. Men love the darkness, don't they? Women love the darkness, don't they? Why don't people love Christ? Their deeds were evil. Pride keeps so many folks out of the kingdom of heaven, doesn't it? At least humanly speaking. I do not want to come to Christ. In fact, I've heard people say this. Yeah, I would, I would repent. I would go to Christ, but I would have to give up my lifestyle. I love the bars. Why would I give that up? See, it's not that people don't know. It's not that people don't know. It's that they don't want to know. It's not that Christ hasn't made Himself clear. It is that He's made Himself clear. Are you suppressing the truth? Are you keeping the truth hidden so you don't have to respond to it? Let me quote C.S. Lewis. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like ignorant children or like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. We are far, far too easily pleased fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Romans 1.18 says they suppress. Again, they suppress the truth and righteousness. Verse 20, For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Verse 21, But he who practices the light, or 
excuse me, he who practices the truth comes into the light so that his deeds may be manifest as having been wrought in God. Verse 20 describes unbelievers and verse 21 describes believers. This is the testimony of deeds wrought in God. Is this not exactly what happened last week? People stood up and they said, I am changed. I am a new man. I am a new woman. Why? Because Christ Jesus lives in me. Because he did open heart surgery on me. Because he took out my heart of stone and he put in a heart of flesh. And now I don't do the will of myself. I do the will of the Father. And my deeds are wrought in God. They're not my own. I'm a new man. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away and new things have come. If you've missed the theme of the message, if you've missed the theme of all of cross life, this is it. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Let me quote Sidlow Baxter when he said, Fundamentally, our Lord's message was Himself. He did not come merely to preach a gospel. He came, He Himself is the gospel. He did not come merely to give bread. He said, I am the bread. He did not come merely to shed light. He said, I am the light. He did not come merely to show the door. He said, I am the door. He did not come merely to name a shepherd. He said, I am the shepherd. He did not come merely to point the way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is not, God is not in the business of patching men up. He's in the business of making men new, giving them a new birth. Have you been born again? Have you, have you been born again? Are you growing in holiness? Are you growing in compassion? Are you growing in love? And are your deeds not as a result of you, but as a result of God. I remember, and I've told you before so many times, trying to quit what I was doing. Waking up, feeling wretched inside, going to the sink and pouring out all my beer, only to buy it again in two weeks. It wasn't until, until Christ came into my life, until He made me a new creation, that I had the power to overcome that. Does your sin bother you? Does it grieve you? You know, I think... Probably my favorite part of cross life is sitting in the chairs and singing and worshiping Lord that way. That is probably my favorite part of this. But do you ever stop to think about how strong those words are that you say? How strong those words are that we sing? Strong things that we say. We call it the wonderful cross. But the truth is it's either wonderful for you or wretched. It's either an enlightening or damning. It's either light or darkness. I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy in life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will, and if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. But as I ran my hell-bound race indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross, and I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. Now all I know is grace. You cannot say those words unless you've been born again. A.W. Tozer said, Christians do not say lies, they sing them. Think about these words as we sing them tonight. Think about these words. Strong words, powerful words. Worshiping the Lord with these words. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but lost and pour contempt on all my pride. See his hands, his, his head, his hands, his feet. Sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ever such a love and sorrow meet or thones compose such a crown? See, strip it of the music for just a minute and think about the words. How beautiful those words are. How deep they are. 
But you cannot sing those words unless you've been born again. You cannot mean them unless Christ lives in you. If you bore of things like this, if you bore of teaching, if you bore of worshiping the Lord, if you get tired of worshiping, have you ever stopped to think how much heaven will be for you? How much fun is heaven going to be for you if you don't enjoy worshiping the Lord? Because I can't say this ever so dogmatically, but I know that a great deal of heaven will be simply worshiping the Lord, ascribing worth to His name. If you're born again, do you enjoy worshiping the Lord or is it an obligation for you? How perfect would a bunch of unborn people make heaven? They wouldn't. That's why the only people that are in heaven are those that have been born again. Those that have been born not of flesh, but of the Spirit. Spurgeon says, there's no heaven for you. You wouldn't enjoy heaven if you were admitted. Do you enjoy worship? Do you enjoy prayer? I know, trust me, I know sometimes those things feel like an obligation. I don't always want to read my Bible. I don't always feel like worship. But I'm talking about your lifestyle. Have you been born again? Do you enjoy worshiping the Lord? There's no neutrality in the kingdom. Remember this. 1 John 2.29 If you know He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born again. The story doesn't end here. Listen, pay attention as I close now. I didn't figure this out to this summer, but when I did, it blew my mind. The way Jesus evangelized constantly blows my mind. But we don't hear another peep out of Nicodemus in John chapter 3, but we do in John chapter 7. And in John chapter 7, verses 44 through 53, He stands up and he professes Christ publicly. And then, get this, in John 19, if you're going to go somewhere, go there. John 19, after Jesus has been crushed by his Father on the cross. It says, Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. Nicodemus was now making bold public stands for Christ. He had been born again. I don't know when this happened, and really neither do you. I don't know when I was saved. It doesn't matter so much when, it matters that I am. Are you saved? Are you born again? Maybe you've come to Jesus by night the first time. Come out, profess Him publicly. Make bold stands for Christ. 1 Kings 18.21, Elijah came near to the people and he said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal, follow Him. The people did not answer him a word. Listen, if girls and boys are God, then follow them. If football is God, follow it. If If school is God, follow it. But if God, but if God is God and He is, then follow Him. Follow God. Have you been born again? I know I've come at you hard. I know I've said some hard things, but I want you to see, I want you to see the necessity of this. You will have no reason to walk out of here tonight and say, I don't understand. Now, I know I can't impart understanding into you, but I've been praying and I will continue to pray and I will pray even now that the Spirit would make you see this, that He would teach you, that you would learn, that you would know, that you would understand the necessity of being born again. Have you been born again? Have you been born again? You're going to get a chance to sing these songs 
and a chance to reflect and think on these words as we sing them. And then I'm going to have some closing thoughts, but think on these things. Think on these things. Have you been born again? And if you have, and I trust that some of you have, are you growing in Christ-likeness? Are you growing in holiness? If we say that we abide in Him, we must walk as He walked. Are you witnessing to people? Are you telling Him these things that we're talking about tonight? Have you been born again? Bow your head and let's pray. And we'll worship some more through song. And then I'll have some closing thoughts. Take a minute. Take a minute before I even pray. Take a minute to think about this. Have you been born again? And if you have, what consequence, what bearing does that have on your life? Have you been made anew? Born afresh? Have you had open heart surgery? Has the Lord done a work in you? Do you now walk in lightness and not in darkness? Think about that. Then I'll pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Lord, thank You for Your conversation with Nicodemus. Lord, thank You for helping us understand. Lord, make others understand here tonight. God, cause them to know and to believe, to believe on Christ. Lord, to be born again, born afresh, born from above. Lord, and for the people here who have been born again, grow them. Lord, grow us in Christ. We want to be more like Your Son. Lord, make us more like Jesus. That's our prayer, Lord. Would we just throw aside the things that hinder us, casting it aside. Lord, help us to run with endurance, not just in our younger years. Lord, raise up a group of passionate worshipers or people whose soul followeth hard after Thee, like the psalmist said. Lord, we long to worship You even now in spirit and truth. We know we cannot do this apart from Your regenerating work in our hearts. Lord, give us understanding into these things. Lord, give those here who have not believed understanding into these things. Lord, make your call clear. Father, thank you. Thank you for letting us worship you. We worship you now, Lord. Would we meditate on these words? Lord, would we not just glaze over them? Thank you that while we were indifferent, you were not. Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. Take a seat. (coughs) You know, I've taught... I think of this past spring when I taught at a small school up north of here and we talked about the gospel much like we have tonight. And uh, I got up to dismiss three times and no one left. No one moved. I, I, 
think that people were genuinely thinking about what was going on and thinking about the state of their soul. And we know that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for those who repent and believe. And a couple weeks later, um, someone called me from up there and said that they'd had a group in and the group had um, had everybody pray this prayer all together and that half the town had been born again. And I don't believe it. Not because I'm a skeptic or a doubter, but... So I called about six months later and I said, how are things going up there? I expect if not in a sarcastic or a crude way, but I was genuinely there. I said, how are things going up there? What's, what's going on? Oh, things are all right. I said, how many of those people, those several hundred people that got born again showed up to church on Sunday? He said, well, I guess none of them did. And uh, and so I'd, I want you to I, I know I know I've come at this again and again, but I want you to think about this. I don't want you to sit and uh, and for the rest of your life go, "Am I saved? Am I not saved?" Am I, I'm not suggesting that. I believe that that one of God's greatest gift is the assurance that He can give believers. I really believe that. And so, if you are in Christ. All honor and glory to Him forever and ever. Amen. But if you are not, I, the, the reason I talk about this the way I do is because I care. I care. I care about the state of your soul and I know I can't make you repent and believe on Christ. But His Word says that and so I'm just trying to be a mouthpiece. So, if you've not believed, repent and believe on Christ. I'm not going to ask you to pray some prayer. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front and kneel down and those kinds of things. I, I just want you to know, I've been praying that you would see the depth of your sin, that you've offended a holy God. I've been praying and I hope that you will see the love, the, the hope that is in Christ. Christ in me, the hope of glory. I know you often don't get to see me this way. You don't see me this way. Most of the time I'm bouncing off the walls and making jokes and doing something silly. There's nothing wrong with that, but I would rather have you have a sleepless night tonight than hundreds in hell apart from Christ. And so I want you to see I want you to see what's going on here. I want you to know that the command is to repent and believe on Christ. And if you do that, his promise is sure. And he will forgive you. And there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. I trust that if you're a believer that you've been encouraged. I trust that you will go forth with urgency that you want and yearn to tell others about these things. And I trust that if you are born again that you will, as Hebrews says, not forsake the assembling together as is the habit of some, that you'll not go off and try and do this by your own, but that I'll see you, that I'll hear about you, that I'll hear about how you're pursuing the Lord, how you're running hard after Him. So, until next week, think of these things, think on these things, ponder these things. And as Hebrews says, let us not forsake the assembling together as is the habit of some, but let us encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. Encourage one another. Talk about these things. Think about these things. We'll go over to NBC tonight. 
the sub over there. Everybody's welcome, anybody and everybody. And we'll sing and we'll pray and we'll worship some more so that what we talk about tonight doesn't just stop here. That we can walk in fullness of life in Christ Jesus and know what abundant life is. But if you're not in Christ, you can't do those things. Does that make sense to you? Are you tracking with me? I trust, I trust that it's been made clear. I trust that it has. If you want to talk to me about these things, if you want to talk to Andy about these things, please do. I would love to visit with you. I will stay here as long as necessary. So feel free to hang out. Feel free to mingle. Free feel to talk, talk about these things. We love you all very much and are so glad that you're here and look forward to seeing you all next week. You're dismissed to hang out, to talk, to visit, to roam around, to think and ponder on these things and to encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Good night.